I'm glad to see each one of you here tonight for this very important prophecy of Daniel. By way of introduction, when you open your Bible, you're not simply opening a book written by ancient prophets for ancient people. The Bible is primarily written for our day, the end of time. Paul makes this clear. 1 Corinthians 10:11 says, Now all these things happened to them for examples, and were, they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So principle one is the primary purpose of Scripture is for our day. Peter's also clear. 1 Peter 1.10 tells us, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So the primary purpose of Scripture is for our day, but this passage in Peter also gives a second principle of Bible prophecy. Prophecy is not just an optional take-it-or-leave-it part of the Bible. It was written for our salvation. And principle number three, prophecy reveals especially two things. First, the brief suffering in this life, and second, followed by the eternal glory of the Christian life in eternity. First, the temporary suffering, and then the enduring glory. First the cross, then the crown. People want the crown, but they don't want the temporary cross. People want the glory, but they don't want the fleeting suffering. These three principles are the uniform message that we find in the prophecies, written primarily for our day, involving focus of salvation issues, and it reveals Christian suffering and the glory that await the true Christian. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus had to reprove two of his disciples for failing to recognize the fulfillment of prophecy in the crucifixion and resurrection, the suffering and the glory, the cross and the crown. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Does God want us to recognize the prophecies that are being fulfilled right under our noses? Tonight we briefly introduce the prophecy found in Daniel 7. We will see that it was written particularly for our day and it is focused on salvation issues. And it presents first the temporary suffering and then the eternal glory of the Christian. With this background, let's listen to Daniel 7 and its accurate summary of the past 2,600 years. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. And he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth 
and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly, another beast, a second, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there, in this horn, were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts 
which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured, broke in pieces, and trampled the residue with its feet, and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth, which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings, who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand, for a time and times and half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion, to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion, and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven, shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed. But I kept the matter in my heart. Tonight is an overview of this chapter that accurately portrayed history for nearly 2,600 years in advance. In vision, Daniel saw, from a beach standpoint, he saw a storm brewing as the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. The great sea was the Mediterranean Sea. A hurricane was whipping up its waves. In the Bible, God uses various symbols to illustrate important truths. Water and wind are important symbols. Interestingly, the opening scene of Daniel's vision reminds us of the scene at the very beginning of our world where we also see wind and water. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. This is the verse 2 of your Bible. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In this verse, the very beginning of our Bibles, 
we are introduced to the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is the first of the Godhead to be mentioned specifically by name in the Bible. The Hebrew word for the Spirit is also the Hebrew word for wind. The Spirit of God is the wind of God like a mighty breeze filling the earth and moving over the waters. Though the Spirit of God like the wind cannot be seen, His presence can be felt in the changed life. We see this wind again at the start of the Christian church when the Holy Spirit again revealed himself through the symbol of wind at Pentecost. The Bible says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The mighty wind of God, creative, life-giving, peace-giving, restoring. We need it in our lives. But a far different wind greets our eyes in Daniel's vision. The four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. This is not the wind of the Holy Spirit, but the gale of the unholy spirit. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 2. In trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The power of the air is wind. Interestingly, the Greek word for spirit also means wind, just as it does in Hebrew. Since the entry of sin into the world, Satan is the prince of the power of the wind. Satan is the unseen, unholy spirit who is now at work to make all disobey God's law, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Let's look at the four winds that Satan uses. The Bible gives us four, political and military strife, religious and philosophical doctrines and beliefs, economic strife, and natural disasters. Last night, you may remember that wind was seen at the close of Daniel 2, sweeping away each of the kingdoms of this world. But in Daniel 7, the wind is seen at the very beginning, and it links these two prophecies together. But we not only see wind in Daniel 7, we also see water. Since water in Bible prophecy represents multitudes of people, the Mediterranean Sea with its water represents the peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues in the Mediterranean region. This vision showed that the people would be stirred up by the four winds of great military conquest, swept by religious currents, moved by economic failures, and affected by large natural disasters. The vision then reveals what emerges from these four powerfully influencing winds. Daniel 7, 3, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the others. These wild animals were ravenous and destructive. First there was a lion, then a bear, third a leopard, and finally a ferocious dragon-like, perhaps dinosaur-like animal out of which came first ten horns and finally a dominating little horn. As we've already heard, an angel explained to Daniel that the four beasts represented the four great empires which arose from the Mediterranean basin. These ancient empires contained their message for our day. We've already seen these four Mediterranean empires in the metal idol of Daniel 2. Like the gold of Daniel 2, the lion represents the Neo-Babylonian empire established by Nebuchadnezzar that was the enemy of God's people. Babylon carried the Israelites captive into Babylon, destroyed God's temple, and also destroyed Jerusalem and ruled from 608 to 539 B.C. But the vision revealed 
that Babylon's rule would end suddenly. Precisely as prophesied, in one night, Babylon was conquered and overthrown suddenly and unexpectedly. Let me just say that God uses Babylon as a symbol for end-time false religions. In the final warning God sends to our earth, found in Revelation 14 and Revelation 18, God's people are told to flee out of Babylon. So though we cannot study this topic tonight, we need to study it and understand this important symbol. Like the silver of Daniel 2, the bear represented the Medo-Persian empire established by Cyrus the Great. The Medes had partnered with Nebuchadnezzar to make the Babylonian empire, but they soon tired of Babylon, turned on their former associates, and united with the Persians against Babylon. But once again, the ambitious Medes were displaced, this time by the Persians. Like the bronze of Daniel 2, the leopard represents the Grecian empire established by Alexander the Great with lightning speed. And finally, the dreadful beast, the iron of Daniel 2, represented the imperial Roman empire, which began with the decisive battle of Pydna in 168 and ended with a whisper in September 4, 476 AD. With the deposing of the last Caesar, Romulus Augustus, Rome then fell apart into the ten nations of the horns, the ten toes of the parallel prophecy of Daniel 2. These four ancient Mediterranean empires have left their footprints deeply embedded in the sands of time. They have had immense influence on modern society in language, finances, law, politics, the art of war, education, religion, philosophy, art, and even music that continues to our own day. Though these empires were the result of Satan stirring up the nations with false beliefs and great armies, God set a limit to man's ambition and Satan's power. God restrained the winds. As Paul stated to the philosophers at Athens in his speech on March, Mars Hill, God hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord. In this prophecy, we see that something mightier than Satan's winds, the divine hand of providence is manifest, setting strict limits on these beasts and overruling in the events of history to draw men to himself. In the midst of societal chaos from the winds, God's sands is seen, drawing, drawing, drawing to himself. It takes our minds to Christ's miracle in a fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee. When a stormy wind threatened to sink all boats and drowned all occupants, Jesus stood up, and in a voice that could be heard above the roar of the storm, he said, Peace! Be still! Immediately, the winds and billows ceased, the clouds cleared up, and the moon was reflected on the suddenly quiet water. Matthew 8, 27 so the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? When we properly understand Daniel 7, that will be our hushed and reverent response. Even the winds and the sea obey him. Seven centuries later, the apostle John saw behind the scenes of Daniel's vision. He said in Revelation 7, 1, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea. Though these four winds 
still blow. They are restrained and contained by the Word of God. In the Bible prophecies, we have been given the weather report. A hurricane storm is coming. The gales are about to blow again with fury. These increasingly severe winds warn us to take shelter now. The Bible tells us how to take shelter. Isaiah 32, 2, And a man shall be as a hiding place for the wind, a covert from the tempest. In Jesus, we have protection from these hurricane forces. Let me just pause here for a moment in our study. In the crises of your own life, in the midst of the blowing winds of confusion and doctrine, political, military strife, philosophical divisions, economic uncertainty, natural disasters, home crises, do you have the man Christ Jesus as your hiding place? Do you want him to be your hiding place? Won't you just say now, I want to keep, take cover in you, Lord from the winds. But we continue. Though this brief vision focuses on our day, it accurately summarizes more than two and a half millennia of history. Notice a few phrases. These empires brought great destruction of life, as verse 5 points out with the phrase, devour much flesh. It was not the strength of armies or the skill of generals that produced these empires. Dominion was given to the leaders of the country. The men may have prided themselves, and history may give them credit, but the Bible shows that it wasn't man's prowess that made these mighty empires. And because of the cruelty and wickedness of the Canaanite nations, God took away their land and gave it to Israel. But Israel became even more cruel and wicked. And God took, who is no respecter of persons, took it away from Israel in turn, and took their national sovereignty and passed it over to four successive empires, judging and removing each empire in its turn. The last empire, Rome, surpassed all prior empires in cruelty and evil. The Roman Empire was described as devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling. It was the Roman ruler, Herod, that ordered the babies under his cruel rule killed. It was Pilate who crucified Jesus, and other rulers killed Christians for entertainment and sport. With the breakdown and breakup of the Roman Empire, a horn emerged from the remnants of the Roman Empire. Though the horn empire became great, it began small, and thus is still known as the little horn. This little horn would continue and intensify its war against Christians. In the battle of good against evil, for more than a millennium, it would seem to triumph. But the suffering righteous were not forgotten by God. He calls them his saints and preserve them in the midst of their afflictions. History has testified to the truth of this prophecy. Under the oppressive rule of the Dark Ages, a war was raged against those who loved Jesus and his word, such as the world had never before seen. For centuries, martyrs were multiplied. Property was confiscated for the crime of possessing the word of God, for the crime of acknowledging Jesus as the only Savior. Conservative estimates place the number of righteous slain to more than 50 million. Paul knew this prophecy and warned that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The war against true Christianity continues. In some places, those who choose Jesus 
face the risk of death. Even in our land, those who truly make a decision for Christ face ridicule, loss of friends, rejection by relatives, sometimes loss of employment, even estrangement from a church home. Some receive government harassment and fines. We have to decide what is most valuable in our life. To truly make a decision for Christ, we choose to follow him regardless of the consequences. But the Christian has a secret joy that outweighs any present inconvenience. Even in rejection and loss, a Christian is never alone. They experience the truth of Jesus' promise. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Just as Jesus was with the three Hebrews thrown into the fiery furnace, he has been with his suffering saints. When Christians review their life's experience, they universally are thankful for the way God leads them. Even through affliction and trial, Christ's presence has comforted their sorrows, brought joy and peace in the midst of misunderstanding and slander. They see that all these things have worked together for their good. Christ's presence brings courage that nothing can terrify. The martyrs went to their executions singing. And impartial observers note that the imprisoned Christian is more free than the soldiers guarding them. And the vision reveals that suffering is not the end of the story. The civil injustice toward God's people ends in a criminal trial for those afflicting and persecuting them. The decisions of church and state declaring obedience to God's word a crime that merits punishment, confiscation of property, and even possibly death is overturned by heaven's supreme court. This court reverses the decisions of apostate church, corrupt civil magistrates, and unrighteous judges. Speaking of the little horn at the end of time, an angel told Daniel, but the judgment shall sit and shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. We have an opportunity to choose whether we want a temporary kingdom of this earth or an eternal kingdom in heaven. In this kingdom, the heroes of the wicked are revealed to be the villains. They are beasts, while the despised righteous are shown to be the true heroes. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more and exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The suffering is for our good, even necessary. It strengthens us. It purifies us. It teaches us essential lessons we can learn in no other way. It reveals the true evil of sin and the true value of right doing. It weans us from a love of the world and prepares us to love heaven. And Jesus, who suffered for us, makes certain that we have no unnecessary suffering. Everyone has difficulties and trials, whether they're wicked or whether they follow Jesus. But I greatly prefer the trials that infinite wisdom and love provides me for my good in his glory. Yes, the suffering here is a necessary preparation for the throne there. If we suffer, Paul says, we shall also reign with him. The suffering, you see, is a necessary preparation for the throne there. No suffering, no glory. Those who refuse the cross cannot receive the crown. And Daniel 7 reveals the temporary wrong that may seem to prosper. 
but it also shows that God sees all things. He notes the injustice in the world, and he will bring this into judgment, every secret thing. In the end, there's nothing hidden. Evildoers will be exposed and will receive their punishment. The patiently enduring saints will be revealed and receive their reward. Some things are worth the, worth the cost. The more valuable, the more worth the cost. Jesus considered you of such value that he gave all he had for you. Is he of sufficient value for you to give all you have to him? How much are you willing to pay for Jesus? Consider how much he was willing to pay for you. Will you say just now, Jesus, take me fully as yours. Whatever you want of me, you can have. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. Is that your decision? If that's your decision, well, just raise your hand and say, Lord, that's what I want. Thank you.
Let's bow our heads. Father, that's my prayer. And that's the prayer of each of us here. We want to go where you want us to go, be where you want us to be, say what you want us to say, and in most cases, be quiet as you want us to be quiet. We just want to be like Jesus. We love him. And Father, what a privilege to stand for him in the midst of a generation that rejects him, to be firm and true. We know that this world isn't our home, but we look forward to the eternal glory of being with you. In Christ's name we pray, accept us now, amen.